Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Well, y'all, I don't know if you have seen on any of the social media, but I have a very special guest co-host this week. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. I have very big shoes to fill. (laughs) I know, I know, but you're very adequate. So if you don't know, I have Laura King with me today. Uh, There's some stuff going on with some events that may or may not have been announced by the time this comes out. So uh, Christy was a little busy. (laughs) this week. So I was like, Laura, you want to be my co-host? And she graciously agreed. Well, thanks for asking. Aww. Very flattering. Okay. I, I know you're the co-host, but I've got to get some scoop on this epic trip that you and Ted and Hazel just did because you um, embraced van, van life this summer, right? We did. Not something that I, uh, I didn't exactly picture ever getting into. Um, and I, I, I loved it. Um, yeah, Hazel, our daughter was born in March, just really exactly at the start of the pandemic. And as the months went on and my family wasn't able to meet her as a baby and she was changing so quickly, um, Ted and I just kind of started thinking, how could we take matters into our own hands in a safe way and, uh, get her to Seattle so that she could meet my family, all my families in Seattle. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of put it out there to friends and connect, you know, connections, uh, acquaintances, people let, letting them know that we were on the lookout for a van because they're in bands are kind of hard to find right now. <laughs> so many weird things are in high demand right now. Yeah. Um, and it worked. We ended up finding, I mean, it was, it was, it felt meant to be, we found the ideal van for us. Um, and within 36 hours of, uh, signing the papers, the title, we, uh, we got in the car and started driving. So yeah, we were on the road for eight weeks. So you went Vermont all the way out to Washington state and then kind of a roundabout way back. (laughs) Correct. Yes. We, uh, we, uh, (laughs) We call it the tour de Hazel, um, as that is our daughter's name, but we also, 
Uh, I jokingly call it the tour of places we would live if we didn't live in Vermont because we kind of, you know, the hot spots of around the country that include great riding and um, just the types of communities that we're drawn to are, are the spots that we kind of put on the map. So it was, it was a lot of fun and it was amazing to be in community again with friends and family. How did that go with COVID? Were you all like, I guess in certain places, like it's just their cases are low. Like my sister-in-law just went back to Tennessee for a couple of weeks and she's like, cases are low. It feels really normal there. Um, yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, our kind of take on it was the same no matter where we were. It was, you know, especially with a young baby. I mean, we wanted to take every precaution possible. So, um, we were, and we had a fridge in our van. We were making, we were trying not to stop, um, at restaurants or stores unless we really needed to. And, um, wearing masks. We really were also not, I mean, um, and a lot of time we were spending time outdoors. Um, and thankfully I think we picked a good time of year to do this trip because we were able to spend time outdoors before the sea. I mean, we got home and immediately there was a change in seasons and there, we had a, our first frost in Vermont. So we really just timed it perfectly with being able to take those kind of precautions. Yeah. Well, and if people want to check it out, you all did a video um, that's on Ted's page. His oh, our van tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's on uh, King of the Red YouTube. <laughs> but you know what? There was a lot in with today's guests that really had similar parallels with our trip as we just talked about what it's like, um, whether you're cycling across the country or driving across the country. Um, I, I just say like, we're in a time where the world, the news seems pretty, it can be pretty depressing and negative. And, you know, my biggest takeaway was just the kindness of strangers or the hospitality of others and just how, how meaningful that is. Um, you know, for us, we had a lot of people that we didn't know reaching out, offering their driveway for us to park in or offering a socially distanced like backyard barbecue. And it was cool to hear Kimberly's takeaways from her trip and a lot of, you know, a lot of similar takeaways and just that she's met, met people along the way who have, um, rescued her from dangerous situations or opened her, opened their door and um, taken her in. And I, I just, I think those are the, those are the stories we want to talk about and um, that remind us of the good that is happening. Yeah, it was really fun. We talked to Kimberly Byers today who uh, for anybody that's in our women's Facebook group, she's just been posting. She, she went on this journey and it's, she tells the whole story of how she ended up able to even go on this journey, like basically all summer, um, gravel cycling. And just, uh, my favorite part of the whole thing, I think was that she, uh, lives so much on her bike. She didn't know that COVID was happening <laughs> until they went to the like grocery store. And they're like, why is there no food? And where is everybody? <laughs> And so uh, then kind of when she realized that what she did to be able to go on this trip. So everybody will really enjoy this story. She 
really opens up and shares some, some things I think a lot of people are actually going to relate to. Um, I got a little teary <laughs> as she was talking. So I'm really excited to share our interview with Kimberly Byers with everybody. Hey, Catherine, I'm so excited that Gooders Come On is one of our sponsors. I know we love Gooder sunglasses because they come in so many fun colors and sassy fun names. Like I got Lance's afternoon uppers. And I got rosé before brosé. <laughs> <laughs> they're really fun. And they're also performance sunglasses. So they're no slip, no bounce, and polarized. They start at a ridiculously low price of $25 a pair. <laughs> Which means that Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You do not need a discount when you already have the most affordable performance shades on the planet. So go to gooder.com slash feisty and that's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash feisty now. These glasses even look good with mud on them. They do. <laughs> Christy, do you know we have a new podcast sponsor? Did you get your gear yet? I did. I was so excited. Belcorva showed up the other day and I, um, I'm in love. <laughs> I think I have my new very favorite shorts, both for working out, walking my dog and like post a long ride. Yeah, totally. That Well, and I got that green. Did you get the green? You didn't get the green. I, I got, got the green. I got like an eggplant color. They're fantastic. Oh, I'm sorry. My green ones are better than your eggplant. <laughs> well, I really love the fun colors and all the fun patterns. I got really fun pants as well. And I love, this is my favorite thing. They have a pocket. And no. Every pair of pants. So like after a ride, slide them on, put my cell phone in the pocket. It's amazing. Yep. They work perfect. And they're, they are the, the shorts are the right length. My three quarter length tights. They're obviously, they're an awesome link, but they're super fun. I got the black and white stripe and they're, they're really cute. So I'm so stoked. And the quality is, uh, yeah, I was stoked. And they're incredibly affordable. I know. But we yep. are very excited to have Belcorva as a new sponsor to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. You can go over to belcorva.com to pick up your fun new tights or shorts. Get the green ones. Well, welcome to this week's very special episode of Girls Gone Gravel. I have with me a special co-host. Hey, Laura King. Hi. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we have one of probably the most requested person to be on the podcast from our Women's Gravel Cycling Inside Group. We've got Kimberly Byers with us. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, thanks for having me. We are so glad to have you. We didn't know where in the world you were going to be. And so we're excited that we caught up with you. I've been home for about two days. So it's, yeah. Tell us where home is. Uh, currently home is in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, why don't you start out telling us a little bit about who you are and your backstory. And then we want to get into some of these epic adventures that you have been on. And I know Laura and I have lots of questions about them. Okay. I'm Kimberly, just your average cyclist. Um, somebody who couldn't keep up very well. 
um, just a few short years ago. I joined a cycling club. I met some people and they said, hey, you want to ride the Great Allegheny Passage in the CNO with us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so when I did that, I fell in love with, with bikepacking. And since then, I've just been going on different adventures at this point in about 29 states. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just somebody who like just, I just want to ride my bike. That's basically who I am. And um, yeah, that's the backstory. Did you grow up riding a bike? Um, no. what, what, or what age did you, did you get into cycling? I actually didn't really get into cycling until I was about 45 years old. Um, I bought my, I guess I was 44. I bought my first brand new bicycle on April Fool's Day in 2016 and, uh, and thought, wow, you know, this is expensive, you know, kind of. Was, had a little sticker shock, and so I started riding, um, and, you know, just kind of progressed from there. When I joined the bicycle club late that summer, I really fell in love with cycling and fell in love with the camaraderie of it, and as it turns out, I've done more solo cycling than riding with other people, but it was the original group of people that helped me get started that, uh, that helped me fall in love with it. And since then it's kind of been the N plus one. If everyone doesn't know what N plus one is, this is the mathematical formula of how many bicycles you should own, the optimum number. And I've been buying bikes like a drug habit, really. <laughs> That's about the best way of putting it. It's been horrible in a good way. I feel like I just ran out of storage space. So I was like, no more bikes. <laughs> that, was my, that was my limiter. Yeah, I, I had to get a storage shed to put my bikes into um, just because I don't have a place to keep them all. <laughs> I love it. So then you went from getting your first bike on an April Fool's Day to starting to do some of these backpacking, bike packing adventures. How did you get into bike packing? Um. So, yeah, when I first showed up at the bike group, Bicycle Club, Three Rivers Fellow Sport in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, you know, I, the most I'd ever ridden was 25 miles. And so I show up on this particular night. I struggle to keep up. People slow down and they block the wind and they encourage me and they welcome me and they say, hey, come back again. Well, these same people that were encouraging me and telling me, that I can do this. When they were planning a trip to go ride basically from Pittsburgh, Washington, DC, they're like, hey, come along because that's the type of people that they were. And so we bought some bags for my mountain bike and we went off and rode this trip. And at that point, that's when it, this light bulb went off in my head. It was like, wow, this is living. This is the coolest thing ever going from point A to point B, being able to stop and take pictures and being out in nature. It wasn't just riding a road bike um, in the same loop. It wasn't just taking a mountain bike through the mountain bike park and riding the same seven miles of dirt trails. This was something totally 
empowering. It was like, I can actually go from one place to another place. And it, it was just like, wow, this is cool. And from that point, I had to, I had to do more. And so I planned this big elaborate trip for the next year. And what I ended up doing was basically just getting on my bike and riding north into Michigan and just went and saw where ever whatever roads would take me wherever. And when I ran out of land because there's lakes there, I turned around and just followed the coast of Michigan. And once, once I had done that, it was like, I got to do more. I got to do even more and more and more. So. Can you tell us a little bit about a day in the life of a bikepacker? How much are you planning? Are you thinking about your mileage in advance? Are you planning a route or are you kind of spontaneous in, in what you're doing that day? And what does that look like? Um, a little bit of both of planning and not planning. Um, so one thing I've learned for myself is never to be perfectly cemented into a place to stay for the night until after lunchtime, because you just never know what you're going to run into. Um, and so generally from day to day, I kind of have an idea of which direction I'm heading and where I'm trying to get to. And so today's, I believe, Tuesday. So like today, I would make a decision where I'm going to end around this time of day um, and try to get there at a reasonable period of time. You know, so I have an hour or so to set up camp. Um, at whatever point I have internet service or if I'm out west and, and I've, you know, literally have no service and I'm just literally using a paper map. I'm trying to estimate what the next day is going to look like, but I'm not being totally like tying my hands into it. And then when I get up in the morning, you know, it takes a little bit of time to pack everything up. Um, I get a feel for the weather and just basically pick a spot to make a decision for the rest of the day, you know, partway through the day. Um, a lot of times I get totally detoured because sometimes the roads that you think are there are not actually there. Um, you know, I've had a lot of times where I've had to backtrack. There's been other times when you get talking to someone. Like, for example, I was in Kansas and I stopped at a Pony Express station and the curator, the station master, uh, her name was Tina. And she just had this huge passion for this station. And I asked her about the fact that this particular station had a wooden floor. And the next thing you know, we're into the archives and we're pulling out photographs and documents. And she's showing how the floor was built in the 1990s because of the way the state laws were. You know, they're restoring the structure, but they couldn't show the inside if it didn't have a solid floor. And so they had to make this modification. Well, this turned into a four and a half hour long conversation. And if I had, say, for example, made a reservation at a campground or a hotel or something, I would never have made it to that particular spot. And so I try to limit how much planning I actually do. I knew some type A people that would have a really hard time with this, but it sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> You know, I know a lot of people that have, and I bike packed with people like that. And 
um, you know, part of the original group that I did my very first trip with, um, which is how I realized I worked better solo. They had, before we ever left, planned out our destinations for every day along the trip and made reservations and everything was planned to the minute. And what I found for me is that the guys, you know, my friend Jennifer's husband, this guy named Brad, that were part of the trip, they wanted to get there so that they could drink beer and have a little extra time. Beth Ann and I and Jennifer were like just trying to keep up. And if I stopped to take a picture, they're long gone. And so my particular style is developed just from that kind of, I need to relax and do it works for me, not plan. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to be able to do bike packing the way I do it. Just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. <laughs> I think I read a story in which you were recounting, well, both being in some, finding yourself in some maybe dangerous situations, but also um, encountering the kindness of strangers out on the road. Can you tell us? Tell us oh, about absolutely. Um, you know, for every negative situation that's happened, every time where you're like, the hair's standing up on the back of your neck, I've had 10 or 20 positive situations. Um, one of the first ones that happened this particular summer is I was leaving La Crosse, Wisconsin, and the campground I was planning on staying at um, was about 15 miles north of La Crosse along the Mississippi River. And, you know, I'm heading towards the headwaters of the Mississippi, but I'm still a week away or more than that. And, you know, when I stopped for a sandwich in La Crosse, it's blue skies, maybe a couple of popcorn clouds. There's no way it's going to rain. Um, and I've got a guy who follows my spot tracker who gives me weather updates. And he told me that, that there was going to be major thunderstorms. I told him he was crazy because the blue skies, it does, you know, and I didn't listen to him. And so what happened is, is I stopped for a sandwich. I called the campground because I have internet service and I have cell service. It's a good time to do this. And I make a reservation for just 15 miles away. And I start my way out of town. And within minutes, the storm starts to brew. It's just this major thunderstorm. And it's just lightning and it's hailing. And I'm standing under this overpass. And it's like, okay, I am in the best place for hail. I'm in the worst possible place for a tornado. And I literally say out loud, now what? Bolt of lightning crashes. And SUV pulls up. The tailgate pops open. This lady I've never met before hops out of her SUV and says, quick, get your bike in my car. I'll take you wherever you want to go. So I start to wrestle this loaded bike pack, this salsa cutthroat, into her back of this SUV. Her five-year-old daughter, Zoe's in the back. And it's like, hi, I'm Kimberly. It's, we're <laughs> wrestling this thing in here. And I get in the front, and this woman, Amanda, again, I've never met her before. She says, where are you going? I'm like, well, this campground about 15 miles up ahead. And she says, okay. And she takes off. But then, wait for it. She says, do you like tacos? And I'm like, well, everybody likes tacos. And so she does this U-turn in the middle of this torrential downpour. And she takes me home. 
we wait out the storm till it kind of dies down and then we go in our house but there's no power because the whole area is just the storm is so bad it's knocked out power for this whole part of wisconsin once the storm is over she makes taco meat on her barbecue grill we make tacos and we stayed up till two o'clock in the morning talking and i made a friend for life and we still communicate every week it's just absolutely amazing and i could tell you stories about getting rescued on the big corn mountains out of some mud and just numerous times after that so the trail magic that happens out there is it's mind-boggling that's amazing <laughs> so you you said you do primarily solo um riding now so i'm curious like was that is that scary or was it scary or like how do you kind of get over that fear because i think a lot of women have that of like even just going for a local ride by myself kind of what's the process that that you've gone through to to be brave enough to do it <laughs> so yes it's scary and yes i'm scared often um there yes i'm very terrified very often um you know i could I could stay home and I can be scared at home or I can go out and risk it and be out there with the understanding that if something bad were to happen to me, something beyond my control, um, you know, at least I'm out there living and, you know, I only have so much control over my life and, and I'll give you a great example. Uh, my friend Jennifer and I were biking the Ohio to Erie Trail a couple of years ago, and this beat up white truck pulls up, and riders were finishing fixing a flat tire. Like, I mean, literally a minute before, after we get the wheels on. And he asks if we need help, and we're like, nope, we're good. He drives off, we ride off. About 15, 20 minutes later, goes by. He comes at us the opposite direction, turns around. Now he's waving us off the road. We have no cell reception. We're in the middle of Ohio and we're terrified. We're absolutely terrified. So Jennifer stays on the one side of the road. I wave this guy off to the other. I pull out my mace. I am ready to wreck this guy's life. Okay. And I come up to the passenger window because there's nothing else I can do. I mean, this guy is adamant about being in contact with us. And I have my mace in the left hand, right underneath his passenger window, and he goes to hand me a can of fix up the flat with his phone number taped to it. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that it wasn't gonna work with our pressed valves, and so I just took it, put it in my bag. Um, but my point is, is that even though it, you may end up in a really scary situation, it might work out just fine anyways. Um, you know, I was in a storm in Wyoming and for three or four hours, I watched the storm build and then day got as dark as night. And when the storm let loose, I couldn't dodge it. There was nowhere for me to go. The tallest thing out there was a sagebrush. And so I just, all I could do is stand there and hold my bicycle and put my head down and let the storm pummel me and the hail is pounding on my shoulders and on my helmet and on my back. And I'm crying and I'm terrified. I have no idea whether I'm even gonna live through this. But I relaxed in the knowledge that if this is how I'm gonna die today, 
It's in the middle of nowhere, of middle of nowhere, Wyoming, on some Bureau of Land Management land that, you know what? I did something. I went out and I did. I didn't just let stay at home in fear. And the storm passed. I was cold. I got on my bike and continued riding. Um, was I scared? Absolutely terrified. I get terrified all the time. Um, it's scary. And it, it's sometimes really hard to face my fears. And there's, there's times when you just stop and you're just, you got to try not to hyperventilate because it gets that, that terrifying. Mm -hmm. But it's worth doing. I imagine you also focus on controlling the controllable. So, uh, you know, being prepared and having the right equipment. And I, I believe you also help empower and equip other people um, at clinics along your travels, correct? Um, yes. what, are you, what, are you, what are you teaching them and what are you telling them and what, um, what have you learned about preparation? Um, well, I've learned a lot about preparation. First of all, you gotta, it's the little things that are gonna matter. Um, you know, everything from personal hygiene, which is huge, you, know, you need to take care of yourself. Otherwise, that's going to create issues that are going to stop the ride. Um, you need to learn to, I needed to learn to ride my, not ride my bike, but fix my bike. Um, and I did so by volunteering at an inner city mission that has a bicycle clinic. Um, so a little bit of maintenance knowledge, you know, how to fix a tubeless tire, how to change a, a broken chain. Um, you know, having a derailleur hanger, just having these little things make a big difference. Um, you know, again, having the right clothing, the right camping gear as far as for the temperature and conditions that you're going to be in. Um, these are all things that it took a little trial and error to get right. So let's face it, before the last couple of years, uh, really before this year, there haven't been a lot of focus on on a, empowering women as far as for equipment goes. Um, and, you know, let's, it's, again, it's been trial and error. One of the things that a goal for me this year is to hold some clinics and into next year where I can actually teach people what it's like to, you know, how, 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 to, how to pack your bike, how to choose the right gear for your bike, for your situation, because Someone who's tall like me, I can put any bag I want on my bike, but someone who is five foot, two inches tall, like my friend Deb Rose, I'm not even sure Deb is that tall, um, you know, she has a totally different setup. But one way or another, every one of us has the ability to equip ourselves with the tools that we need in the right gear, um, having good quality gear, having a knowledge of how everything works, that is what's gonna make or break what you can and cannot control. Um, and so, yeah, I wanna, I wanna be able to help people learn that. That's awesome. Well, we'll get more info on how to connect with you at the end on that. Um, but I, people will be really mad at me if I don't ask you about this epic trip you went on, your COVID trip, because everybody's like stuck at home and we're all like, who is this person just traveling across? What's happening? 
So tell us like where this idea came from. Were you planning it before 2020 happened? Um, A little bit Uh, about the trip. So um, I had moved to, after the Trans Am bicycle race in 2019, um, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee for work. And when I got down to Nashville, I was hanging out in the different national forests in and around Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and just having a great time. I'm just totally loving bikepacking down that way. And when COVID happened, um, I had been just spent a week in Texas and been biking around central Texas. And I fly back on a Friday and my friend Stanley picks me up at the airport and he's like, hey, I got to take, we're going out to dinner. You got to check this out. And of course, you know, all I do is ride my bike. I don't pay attention to news, politics, or any of that. None of that matters to me. I mean, because it doesn't affect me riding my bike until COVID happened. But, oh my gosh, so did you not know that COVID was happening? I had not the first clue that COVID was happening. None, none whatsoever. And Stanley understood that. Stanley totally got it. I kind of live underneath this rock on some gravel road out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I had no, no idea whatsoever. So I get back in the middle of March from spending a week in Texas and Stanley takes me to this restaurant and we're like the, you know, there's Stanley and I and then two other people in this restaurant. It's like, what in the world is going on here? And then we go to the grocery store and it's completely cleaned out and it's like, oh my goodness. So at that point it was like everything clicked, just everything clicked right now. And it was like, you know, The economy is about to crash because by this point, you know, governors are closing things, restaurants are shutting down. All of this is happening right on this particular weekend. And so I called the corporate headquarters of the company that I worked for. And I said, hey, can I go back to Indiana? The reason I did that was because the place that I worked at in Indiana, it had been on the chopping block for a couple of years, which is why I moved to Nashville in the first place, because I, no offense against Ohio, but I didn't really want to move to Ohio. And that's where my company had wanted me to move, so I moved to Nashville. It's a long story. Um, Ohio's cool, which I just raced there this weekend. But anyways, point is, is that I made a seniority move back to Indiana with the knowledge that as soon as this economy crashed, I'm probably going to get laid off. And that's what happened. So at that point, now it's a matter of, of waiting for the world to open back up. And in the time period between the 30th of April, the last day that I worked, and the middle of May, I hatched this idea to ride the Yellowstone. Um, and it just kind of came together inside of a couple of weeks. So, yeah. Very, very little planning. And so how many miles was that? And I'm also curious just about motivation. How do you maintain it? Do you wake up every day just very excited to ride your bike or does your motivation ever wane? Um, So when I crashed on the 100th day of my trip, um, I was a little more than five and a half thousand miles. Um, Now it wasn't, I had a wedding to go to. Yeah, five and a half thousand. It's, 
That um, is amazing. <laughs> that's yeah. some people's goal for the year. Like yeah. I'm going to ride 5,000 miles this year. <laughs> um, again, you know, it's really privileged. Um, you, know, you ask about motivation. The motivation is that there's nothing else I want to do besides ride my bike. If I have a day off, I'm going to ride my bike. Um, I just got lucky enough to, instead of riding in the same circle every day, I got to ride in a new place. Um, you know, so, it's just... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. I'm just curious when you're out. Okay, so so it sounds like you you wake up every morning very... Uh, motivated and amped to get on your bike. When you're out on your bike, do you ever have low moments? Do you ever have moments where you get, you're feeling fatigued or, um, you know, where you kind of have to mentally like battle through? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I learned pretty early on, not this trip, but in previous trips was the value of a rest day. Um, you know, usually for me, about four or five days in, uh, my hip flexors really start to bother me. Um, you know, because you're putting in, at least at the beginning of this trip, I was doing roughly 100 miles a day. Um, you know, between 90 and 130 a day. And when you're not used to doing that day in and day out, things start to hurt. And so about four or five days in, I've learned to back off, cut the mileage down, and and or take a day and just do some tourist stuff, you know, just check out something. Um, in this trip, I've planned in some visits. Um, so I wanted to visit Susan Evers in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Susan's husband had been killed in the Trans Am bicycle race in 2018. And I wanted to go give her a hug and say, hey, you're, you matter, your husband's life still matters. He had an influence on a lot of people. And so I went to St. Cloud and gave her a hug and, you know, I had a rest day there. And then I had another rest day built in just after that because I had met this woman, Linda, and her husband on a train coming back from Glacier National Park. And she always said that if I was ever in Minnesota to come by the lake. And so about 10 days before I, I got there, I messenger and like said hey you know you, you said if I was ever in Minnesota to come by and well I'm gonna be in the neighborhood and so I took a day off there um, you know when I rolled into Cody Wyoming I you know it's a cool tourist town I built in a day off and took a day off there so you know taking the days off helped me repair my body you know it helps the body just kind of rest and and recuperates but it also gives me that motivation of I want to get back on the bike because one thing for me is someone who doesn't necessarily meet the conventional beauty standard something that you know I'm just not that classic gorgeous woman and the world judges me and so when I get out on the bike the road doesn't care it doesn't care about anything about me. It doesn't care about my skin color. It doesn't care about my age. It doesn't care about how fast I'm going. It doesn't care about anything. It just cares about how I ride. That's it. And so for me, where I feel the most free, where I feel the most welcome, where I feel the most whole is when I'm out on the road. Um, when I'm stationary and I'm just kind of 
hanging out, it's, it's hard for me, which is why, you know, when I got home a couple of weeks ago, within a few days, I'm up in Michigan doing some biking, which is why this last week, I got back on the bike doing some bike packing. I just, because for me, my home is literally on the two wheels. I can really relate to that. My husband and I just got done with an eight week road trip um, in a cool. van across the country. And everyone said, when I returned home, are you so happy to be home? And there's a little bit of a, a readjustment period, right? I'm sure that you've experienced too, where it's like finishing a, a, a big endurance event or something. There's a little bit of a, a letdown because there's, you know, you have, you live adventurous and an exciting every day is new and exciting and uh, that can get pretty addicting. Oh, it's horribly addicting. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it is, it's, you know, the new experiences, your life expanding in leaps and bounds every day, the new people that you get to meet, the simplicity of just simply riding, finding food, finding water, finding a place to sleep for the night. That's simple. You know, that's really easy. Driving my car, terrifies me. I've driven it like four times and people are going around me like a Sandy 500. That's scary. When I'm out on the road, I, I, I just, it's everything, you know, it's very addicting to be out there and just seeing the new sites and bringing everything in and seeing the artwork on the buildings or not seeing a, a, a town for a hundred miles or more. It's it, just a variety. It's, it's, I just can't get enough of it. Well, you kind of opened the door to this, um, but I would love to hear a little bit more about some of the things you've learned about yourself on all these solo adventures. You know, one of the things, the biggest thing I learned about myself is that I have value. Um, when I left on this trip, I did not... I didn't see the same value in myself as other people saw in me. Um, you know, the fact is that I personally have, I've been a solo individual for a long time and that's hard. Um, it's hard when you see other couples out and about and, you know, you, you got nobody and you sometimes start to wonder, well, you know, maybe the world doesn't see me as the same um, value as Laura or Catherine. And you start to buy into that. You start to buy in that, that I'm not as valuable. And, you know, I've battled suicidal thoughts in the past. Um, and ultimately, that comes down to the fact that I just didn't see myself as worthy. And one thing that happened on, the, on this particular trip is I went out and people responded. They responded positively to what I was out there doing. And people like yourself on the, the gravel page, you, you might comment and it gives me a little pick-me-up. Um, it made me realize that I may not be living a conventional life that, that the world says that I should be living, but that doesn't mean that I'm not valuable, that, what I, that I actually have value. And so, yeah, what I've learned about myself just purely comes down to that 
I am equally as valuable as anybody else. And for me, that's a huge gift that 2020 has given me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's, I like getting teared up <laughs> listening to that. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's hard to sometimes share that, but you know what? People understand that, you, you know, we, we, we can't control our past. We can't control what, um, what's happened, you know? Um, oh, we're going to get deep now. <laughs> um, you know, my own mother, to her dying day, did not want to be a part of my life. And, you know, I mean, all the way into hospice, she did not want me to visit her. She did not want me to be a part of her life. And that has a, that's not my fault. You know, I think, you know, as adults, we carry over some of the stuff that, that our childhood had. None of that really ends up being our fault, but we got to find a way through all of it. And for me, the road, the gravel has, the gravel road specifically, you know, because they're tough, they're challenging, they're ever changing. Um, it's overcoming those challenges that help me realize that what happened in the past isn't my fault. What I do forward, how I ride this road, how I treat you as an individual, how I support other people, that can overcome any negativity that people treated me in the past. And, you know, if I can become part of someone's story and help empower them, then isn't that a great outcome of people who didn't want me to be a part of their life? And so that's kind of how I'm trying to turn this, turn it around for me. Um, yeah. Thanks for your vulnerability and sharing that. I think that there's probably somebody out there that maybe also needed to hear that today and um, that can really get to have some hope from, from hearing your words. What's next for Kimberly? Um, lots of bike packing. Um, <laughs> lots of bike packing. Um, what I hope to do is um, do some gravel clinics. I've got one in Pekin, Illinois, coming up here in a couple of weeks, and I have another one in Michigan. Uh, we're trying to piece together one for the Flint Hills for Kansas in November, and we're talking about coming down to the Atlanta area, North Georgia area, and doing one the last weekend of February, the 27th, 28th, and I believe the 1st of March. I know some uh, people here. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely interest there. Um, I have a, a woman named Heather Harrison who has jumped on board to help me with this project. Um, all the pieces are not in place at this point. Um, the first two gravel bike packing clinics are, are in place. And the idea is to basically start off with, you know, teaching, teaching people what they need to know so that they can go out and have their own adventure safely without endangering themselves. Um, you know, I want to help empower people because, again, I keep hearing, 
I don't know what I don't know, or I'm afraid of what I don't know, or, you know, people just don't, you know, it's, it's mind boggling, you know? Um, so, you know, my plan is to basically teach a clinic where we have camp set up. How do you break down camp, pack your bike so that your bike is safe? How do you filter water? How do you set up camp? How do you cook? You know, basically every little thing that you need um, throughout a day other than I'm not teaching you how to ride your bike because everybody knows how to ride their bike if they're going to be interested in something like this. Um, but, you know, I want it to be interactive. I want people, you know, it, it's a hands-on type experience. And that's the, that's the goal. So, again, I don't have everything quite in place for 2021 yet. I'm going to need some help. Um, so, you know, somebody has a name. It, it's Quality Bicycle Products, Salsa's parent company. I'm about to send you guys a letter. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I'm trying to, you know, Again, Heather Harrison's helped me get things set up, but we we want to be able to empower people. And my goal is to get some clinics together and then bike from one to the other and just, again, spread the goodness and get many, many more people out on bikes and out in the woods and um, or wherever they want to go. I mean, you don't have to go out in the woods. Um, you can go wherever you want to go. And that's that's the goal. That's that sounds awesome. And you met Heather on the women's gravel cycling group, right? I did. I did. Wow. She uh Heather and I engaged in, you know, she would comment on my posts and we friend requested each other and we just uh we came engaged around gravel riding and when I mentioned about having a second gravel camp up in Michigan, she raised her hand and was like, "Hey, can I be a part of this?" and when I asked her to help me, um, a little more so than just participating, you know, being a paid participant in the gravel camp, she jumped on board with full gusto and has been working 40, 50 hours a week to allow me to do what I'm good at, which is um, riding my bike and, you know, talking because I'm really good at talking. Um, but you know, she's, she's definitely going to be the, the person behind the curtain to yeah. say. Yeah, that's, yeah, she's definitely your handler. I was like setting things up with her and she's like, well, Kimberly, <laughs> I was like, she's a handler, handler. <laughs> you do realize that when you messaged me, I was actively bikepacking. I mean, well, yeah, I just was like, oh, Kimberly's home now. We can get, you know, get her on the podcast. And then I was like, nope not home. <laughs> no, I was, you know, it, it's hard for me to stay still. It's yeah. really hard. Um, so yeah, it, Heather, again, you know, she's allowed me to, you know, this weekend I rode the Trans Indiana 250, uh, great, great course, you know, mix of gravel, single track, country roads, bike paths. Um, and by having Heather, you know, that allowed me to bike pack my way over to that event and then ride the event back. Um, you know, I've got a presentation coming up in Brighton, Michigan on the 10th at Hometown Bicycles. And, you know, with having someone like Heather who can do the behind the scenes work for me, it's going to let me bike pack my way up there instead of driving a car. I mean, who wants to drive a car somewhere, right? So. Well, 
Yeah. Well, another thing I love about that story is that you all met within the community, which I know, you know, Laura helped with the, Laura made the DIY series happen this summer and just seeing everybody work on the community together. It's just been really fun to see that women coming together, like we really want to support each other and help create cool things. Absolutely. I think that, you know, and to me, this gravel page that, that this, this community that we've created, um, I absolutely am in love with it. Um, it was never my intention to um, post every day, but it's kind of happened that way. Um, what I love is that, like, I think yesterday someone said, hey, I'm looking at the checkpoint. I'm looking at the diverge. I'm looking at whatever Giants version of the bike is. And that person can go to a lot of us women and say, Hey, these are ones I'm looking at. What are your experiences? And, you know, I've got a salsa cut throat. I have a specialized diverge and, you know, I can give my input and then you can give your input on something else. And ultimately together we're helping that individual have this question, make good decisions for herself. And that's going to get her out on a gravel bike out in her own neighborhood. And then what does that do? That lets her, bring in their neighbor and it brings in someone else and together we're empowering each other. And I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, we are so glad that you're in there and a part of that community. And if people want to find you on Facebook, well, they can come into the women's gravel community, but you have your Kimberly with uh, Kimberly Byers with two Y's. So the Y instead of the I um, in the Kimberly and then what are, what's your Instagram handle? Gypsy Cyclist 222. Okay, Gypsy Cyclist 222. So if you want to get in touch with Kimberly, and you can always reach out to me as well. Um, but thank you so much for your time today and for connecting with us. Again, thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this community. And I will talk to you on the flip side. Yeah. Thanks, Kimberly. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listening platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.